You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Hi, thanks for joining us again for our episode number 17, where we're going to be talking about the different challenges, clothing challenges that um, Fiber Shed affiliates are doing around the country and around the world. But first, here's what's happening on the farm. So I am uh, recording this 10 days before Christmas, and we just had a very big ice storm um, and it was, oh, it was miserably cold yesterday. Um, but today it's, it's sunny, it's beautiful. Um, and everybody did well, everybody what, during the ice storm, people just not people, I call them people, but they're really animals. <laughs> um, so, um, the chickens and the sheep and the goats, they all hunker down. They just stay in the barns where they can, um, keep warm the chickens have their own chicken house, which um, is kept warm by the sun. Um, and so they, and you know, if they get cold, they also can go into the nesting boxes and, and huddle together. That always works too. Um, and so everybody was fine. And, you know, the sheep and goats all have their winter coats on. Um, so nobody was getting cold at all. Um, that, um, their wool also really protects them from wind as well. So, um, yeah, everybody's good. And, you know, we're just counting down the days until it's, it's actual winter here. So here's what we've been talking about for the season, season four. Um, I've been telling lots of stories about fast fashion and slow fashion. And I've hoped that you are, have, that I've tried, that I've convinced you to consider changing your textile buying habits to ones that are more climate beneficial, to that will benefit the earth, but also will benefit you and your own health and your family's health. And you've heard stories from people who are working to change their creative and buying choices around as well. Um, people who um, are making more mindful choices um, and in order to not go hog wild um, or be overwhelmed, but to slowly change over their wardrobes into something that's climate beneficial. So this all started for me by reading um, Fiber Shed, and I've talked about this a number of times this season. Um, and I that book so alarmed me. And if you haven't read it, I would suggest that you get it. Check it out from the library. Um read it. It's, it really just opened my eyes. Some of it I already knew, especially because I'm a dyer, I already knew about the effects of commercial dyeing. And that's just so evident. You see it because you see these creeks and um, rivers running with, you know, green dye and um, purple dye and red dye. You just have, you just know that it's not the way to be living. That has to be toxic. But so much of what um, is the problem, I had no clue about. And a lot of it is because it's not, you can't see, you can't see what the problems are generally. Specifically for me, them that microplastic problem, 
um, that is all these, pla you know, the breakdown of all the plastic textiles and all of it going into the oceans and going into the food that we eat. Um, I did, I had no clue about that. And also about the greenhouse gases that are being produced by the industry, not only um, from the transportation that it takes to, you know, move the text raw materials and the end product textiles um, throughout the world from a centralized place, but also um, using the petroleum based products to actually make the cloth. So Rebecca was uh, researching the, you know, this, the whole textile problem. And she made the challenge for herself that she would build a local wardrobe and to have, she wanted to have all of her clothes made from fibers and dyes that were with a hundred miles of her home. Um, and she was very upfront with it that she did not have the skills to make, to do this by herself. Um, she traded, she bartered, she collaborated. Um, and in order to get a capsule, um, wardrobe that she could use. And so this was really, really intriguing to me. And I just had to find a challenge to join or somebody to do it with, because it's always more fun if you can do it with someone else. So your local wardrobe, of course, is going to begin at home. So the first thing I did was take an inventory of what I already had that was local. Um, and at that time, I just looked at local fiber and local um, labor, but not local dyes because, uh, you know, as you know, um, I mostly dye with low impact acid dyes um, and I had not upped my practice of um, natural dyes at that time. So I checked, I looked at everything that I had. I had hats, I have sweaters. I probably had two or three sweaters at the time and I have socks. I have probably eight pairs of socks, maybe more pairs of socks. But I did not have anything that would work for our hot and humid summers here. You know, when it gets to be 90 degrees and 98% humidity and it's just gross and it's like, I don't want to wear wool or any other animal fiber on, on my body at that time. But there are no cotton or linen infrastructure uh, factories near me or even within 100 miles. Um, there are some cotton mills still in the Carolinas. Um and so that, that at least is local-ish. But I decided I would start where I was at and just look at widening out my wardrobe. And then, I, as I just said, it's always more fun to work with the community rather than just myself. So I had to find some like-minded people who would want to take this on with me. My next step was to look for a fiber shed affiliate near me. And there at that time, this was um, before the pandemic, I think, or very close to it, probably to late 2019. There were two in the DC area um, and I knew one of the organizers. So, you know, I was able to connect with her and um, to make a long story short, we um, were able to take those two um, affiliates merged them into one, and I was able to connect more strongly with it. Um, in the meantime, while I was still trying to make those connections, I researched some of what the other affiliates were doing as far as a local wardrobe challenge or a local wardrobe project. And um, 
as I became part of the working committee in the Chesapeake Fiber Shed, I was able to make my case that we should have a challenge here in the Mid-Atlantic. Um, and so we did um, we did, did set up a challenge here. So as I've spoken to you about before, there are 55 affiliates in the Fiber Shed worldwide. And I think when I started the season, there were only 52. Um, and now there's 55. So you can see that each of these is in a different stage of development. You know, there are three that are just trying to get their feet under them right now because they just joined. And there are some that have been affiliates for, I don't know, 10 years, something like that. They already have nonprofit status. They have a lot of infrastructure um, around their affiliate. Um, so, and Chesapeake is kind of right. It's, we're it's sort of towards the beginning of, um, of being, you know, really together. Um, and each of these fiber sheds has their own priorities. So some of them are interested in specific fiber manufacturing, such as, you know, looking um, directly at like hemp cloth manufacturing or linen cloth or cotton. Um, and some of them are more interested in like going the farming route and um, getting their producers to practice regenerative farming. Um, and then others are um, more textile based. And so some of the small challenge and when I when I say small and I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm being disparaging about it. I'm not at all. They're just more focused. They're uh, these these three that I'm going to tell you about were very, very focused challenges. So the Three Rivers Fiber Shed, it's an affiliate that um, covers Minnesota, Michigan, and parts of Iowa. And they had a soil to sock challenge. Um, and it has just concluded. Um, they uh, gave a range of classes and events. Um, some were in person, I believe, and some were um, on Zoom. And they concentrated not only in um, having people make socks out of the fiber shed fiber, but also mending their socks. So keeping the, 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 um, the socks out of the landfill. They also gave classes on spinning sock yarn and also about learning, learning about the natural, the local resources, like who are the producers in the area who would um, be able to, you know, you would be able to find fiber to spin your own socks or find the yarn to make your own socks. Heartland Threads affiliate is in uh, covers Wisconsin and parts of Illinois, and they had a field to fingers challenge. And I like how these are uh, both of these are alliterative terms, right? Um, it's very cute. Um, they are going to have a virtual fashion show in January. Their submissions were just um, uh, due by December 1st. Um, and so you could make anything that fit the hand covering category. Um, so that could be gloves or mittens or fingerless mitts or anything that I guess your heart's desire um, could that fit something that could, you would wear on your hand. And the submissions could be any technique that what they had listed was knitting, crochet, braiding, or felting. And they probably would be open to other things. And then in Montana, the Montana Fiber Shed had a farm to fashion show as a part of a bigger um, event that they had. 
um, with their producers. And to be in the show, you just had to make something with Montana Fiber. And then you would sub- you submitted your outfit, or it could be an outfit, or it could be a single garment um, for the fashion show. Now, some challenges are are larger. They ha- they encompass more ideas within them, um, and there were d- definitely differences in the level of support. And by that, I mean the um, how many. Uh, meetings that there would be or how much, you know, what other kinds of resources were available to the participants. And there were definitely differences in what counts as a project, um, how many pieces were in that, in an outfit, um, what kinds of pieces they could be. Um, And there were differences in what kind of, yeah, yeah, I just said that differences in what kinds of projects could count for the challenge. So Pembina it Fiber Shed covers Manitona, Manitoba, Canada, and they had a one-year, one-outfit challenge. Um, to be included, you needed to work with a team to produce an outfit, and the outfit was defined as three pieces. So garments with accessories and or adornments were, um, were considered an outfit. They had bi-monthly meetings to learn and share from each other. And you can, any of these um, that I'm mentioning, you can go to the fibershed.org website, click on uh, the affiliates, and then you can go to each affiliate's website and see um, pictures of, of their, um, the, the outfits and the projects. They're really, really inspiring. Rust Belt, they cover um, Chicago and in that area. They, their challenge was involved uh, was also called one year one outfit, um, and it was you had to make an outfit. So the outfit was defined as three distinct garments or accessories. Um, this one did not determine you needed to be in a team. I think you probably could be in a team, or you could do it um, individually. And they had regular meetups to also share pro- projects and share resources. They have just completed their second year of this project, which they called cohorts. So, and I'm thinking that they would be doing a third year, but I'm not sure if you're part, if you're in the Rust Belt's um, area, you could um, reach out to them and find out if they're doing another one. And finally, we have the Chesapeake Fiber Shed. Um, we, We structured our challenge pretty differently than the others. Um, our value was to really be inclusive. We wanted to have as many people as possible join. So we wanted to make um, the parameters um, large um, and uh, and include thinking outside the box that maybe I wouldn't have, but somebody else would. So what we called ours was sustainable cloth from farm to closet. That's not true. It was called sustainable cloth from farm to home and closet. So what we want, what we were envisioning is, you know, lots of people are interested in making wearables. Sure. But there are some people that aren't. Um, And we wanted to include those people as well. Maybe they were interested in making home textiles. We ended up having people that made rugs, people who made quilts, people who 
made um, pillows. So lots of, lots of different kinds of things were included. And we also wanted to make the bar kind of low. So again, that we would get the most people uh, involved. So you had to make at least one object and the object needed to be mostly from our fiber shed. So um, there were three streams of participation. The first one was embracing. So in that one, it's all local fiber, 100% local fiber, 100% local dye, 100% local labor. There are some exceptions um, based on infrastructure that we have um, as to things that can be included that aren't totally local. They may be local-ish. The second one was re-envisioning. And so that one was um, aimed at recycling items so that they're kept out of the landfill. Um, and again, we wanted to you know, include as many climate beneficial um, ideas as possible with this challenge. The last stream was called borrowing and that would, it was mostly local fiber. So it needed to be 50% local fiber. Um, so mostly local fiber, mostly local dye. And of course the labor would be, um, what you were doing yourself. And this, this stream really acknowledges that we don't have infrastructure to do it all. Um, and, but we can get close and we wanted to celebrate that. In, so in our first year, which we just did uh, conclude, we had 27 projects and we had monthly meetups um, that were uh, via Zoom. And we had two in-person gatherings as um, the world opened up after the pandemic. Um, and we're starting our next year right now. So if you are in our um, fiber shed, you can sign up if you're interested by going to the Chesapeake Fiber Shed website, clicking on the link on the sustainable cloth page. And I'll put the link in the show notes so that um, it's easy for you to find. To be part of a challenge, you need to live within our fiber shed, um, but you can join as an individual. You can join as a team. We had two teams this time. We had a team of 16 that, that made a beautiful woven cape from, fle from fleeces all the way to fabric and then the sewing of the cape. And we had another team um, of, um, young women who, um, planted an indigo garden and then they did projects, um, and used the indigo from their garden, um, to dye all of the projects. So that was really cool. So here's my call to action. What will you do if you're intrigued or inspired? And I hope you are go sign up to be part of a challenge again. If you are um, local, you can do that through the Chesapeake Fiber Shed. If not, you can find, you can, uh, like I said, go to the fibershed.org website, go for the affiliates and look for um, the affiliate where you live and see if they have a textile challenge. If they don't, well, reach out to the organizers and volunteer to start the challenge with, for them or with them. Um, these are all volunteer, um, organizations. And so, um, if you are inspired to do something, I'm sure that they would probably welcome you with open arms. 
Um, you could also consider doing a challenge like this within your college community or within your making community without the backing of a fiber shed affiliate. If you're just, um, you know, or, you know, you have a few friends that do crafternoon or, you know, uh, you do knit night or something like that. Um, you can for sure, you know, consider doing a challenge like that just within your own little community community. Um, if you need support or have questions about getting a challenge started, of course, drop me an email because I'd be happy to help. I can tell you some of the things that we did, um, some of the pitfalls that we had, um, and, uh, uh, you know, obviously the the successes. It was really um, a great uh, project in the end. So until next time. I'm, I'm going to be taking a couple of months off to regroup and reset um, in this um, in December and January. But until then, happy making with local fiber, local yarn, and local labor. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making. <laughs>